so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is a project of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning, which is designed to help you think deeply about the pressing technology issues of the day and also to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Armstrong, who's a professor of Bible at Moody Bible Institute, and Dr. Daryl Bach, a senior research professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. And we talk about their latest book from Moody publisher, Virtual Reality Church. Dr. Armstrong lectures on New Testament studies and church history. He consults at the intersection of faith and technology and serves as the president of the Aqueduct Project. He lives in Chicago with his wife and three children. Dr. Bach earned recognition as a Humboldt scholar in Germany and is the author of more than 40 books, including well-regarded commentaries on Luke and Acts and the studies of the historical Jesus. He previously served as the president of the Evangelical Theological Society and is a consulting editor for Christianity Today. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Dr. Armstrong and Dr. Bach, thank you so much for joining me here on Weekly Tech. For me, virtual reality is a pretty fascinating topic, and I'm really thrilled to have you both engaging in this really pressing uh, area. As I was telling Dr. Armstrong before we jumped on the podcast a few years ago, I was asked to write and to think about some VR issues from an ethical perspective. And so for me, I wanted to Uh, dive in and kind of experience it for myself. And for listeners who may have not engaged with virtual reality, um, it's a really immersive experience, and it's kind of almost disorienting at first about how realistic it does feel. And I really appreciated the work that you guys did here with Virtual Reality Church from Moody um, because it does expose and kind of help readers or help listeners to uh, dive into a lot of the pressing questions surrounding uh, the rise of these technologies and how that's impacting and shaping our future ministries. As we get started, I would love just to hear from you both um, why you decided to write a book on Virtual Reality Church, specifically as New Testament and church history scholars. And is there anything that surprised you along the writing process about these technologies? You first, Dr. Buck. Well, uh, Jonathan and I met at a global conference in Thailand. Uh, One of the things that I like to tell people is is that we've probably spent a total of maybe 10 hours in each other's physical presence, but we have Hmm. stayed connected and and interacted with each other throughout that time so that when Jonathan 
began to have the idea of, of writing this book, he asked me if I'd be interested in joining him as kind of a uh, theological reflection. He was looking at it from a church historical point of view and from the practical point of view of his own, the way his own ministry was unfolding. And I was looking at it from the standpoint of uh, someone in New Testament who become familiar with technology. I had I had a role at the last Cape Town Global Conference that the Lausanne movement put on in 2010 of being the person behind the scenes connecting to all the sites that were connected uh, digitally to the event, not with so much a live podcast, but with um, editing events and sending them out to virtual locations so that people could attend virtually this conference. It was probably one of the first global conferences to be set up to operate virtually before there was much live streaming. And, uh, and so I was in a back room 18 hours a day for that entire week editing what was happening elsewhere at the conference and getting that set up and sent out to people. So I was very engaged at a digital level early on with, uh, with uh, resourcing theological information to people. Um, and then when Jonathan and I connected um, in Thailand and we realized we had similar interests in terms of how to get information out globally, because this was also a global conference, um, that, that, introduced our friendship and then the topic was just a natural for us and i would say there was definitely a um my story also begins in teleconferencing i think that might be the technological basis for this new medium that we're calling virtual reality but in 2014 i was working with moody bible institute at a branch campus that they were operating in spokane washington spokane washington is a long ways away from pretty much everything Mm-hmm. So one of the projects that we decided to do was a global theology class, and not having a lot of local resources, we started tinkering with uh, Google Hangouts. And so I started writing uh, different theologians, asking if they could come in and do a virtual lecture, which was pretty innovative for the 2013-2014 era. Dr. Bach was one of those who graciously said that he would, and he taught, among, along with a staff of actually dozens of other teachers, Dr. Bach taught my students in Spokane from his office in Dallas that day, if I'm remembering correctly. And that was in 2014. Mm -hmm. In 2016, we met live at a conference that uh, uh, Daryl Bach's um, colleague at Dallas Theological Seminary, Ramesh Richard, had convened. It was called the Global Proclamation Congress for Pastoral Trainers. It was an extremely global event. There was 2,500 pastoral trainers from 101 countries. And as part of the follow-up from that 2016 conference, Dr. Bach and I were convening many online discussion groups. And about 2018, I asked, Dr. Bach, would you be willing to write a book with me on virtual reality? I think it's going to be an important story for the next coming chapter in church history. And I'd love to have someone with your both biblical expertise, but also institutional experience for decades of ministry. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I was very excited to be uh, to pick up a copy of your book um, was because of the breadth and the depth, uh, not only of your own experiences, um, but even the book itself and kind of applying that to a lot of these modern uh, controversies and a lot of modern technologies and how they uh, can serve uh, future ministry and gospel mission today. 
One of the ways I wanted to start off the uh, conversation that we're having is if you all could help us to understand kind of the place of innovation and technology and the history of evangelicalism. You do a really good job of that, kind of introducing a lot of those concepts, how the church has um, used technology for gospel proclamation and training. Um, can you expand on that and kind of help listeners to set uh, technology and innovation into the Christian historical perspective? Great. Well, I think it's extremely important um, to help people realize that evangelicalism is a is a form of Christianity that has innovation at its core. So mm-hmm. many scholars will say basically the first great awakening in the 1730s and 40s is the beginning of what we identify today as evangelicalism. And there is constant innovation in that movement as we trace it forward. We can look back to the first great awakening days when George Whitfield is using newspapers, the primary media of his own day, to stir up expectation for his revival preaching. Uh, but the story continues. And the innovation in evangelicalism really turns into a new chapter when we come to the age of electrification. So once the majority of American households begin to get electricity in the 1920s and 30s, and we have the proliferation of electronic media, first, of course, radio in the 1920s, but only a couple decades later, we have television in the 1950s and 60s, and then the internet in the 90s. And I think it's important for for folks to realize that what we're calling the virtual church today does have antecedents in what used to be called the electric church in the 1980s and 70s with the with television ministries and with what even before that was called the church of the air with these radio ministries in the 1920s and 30s some of those problems of what does it mean to do church in an age of instantaneous electronic telecommunication that's been a continuing story for at least a century that's right and no, I, I was just going to add that uh, one of the things that we did in the book that's important, it's a distinction to make, is is that we are actually talking about all forms of digital involvement while focusing on virtual reality in particular, because a lot of the issues that relate to virtual reality also relate to other forms of digital involvement. So the Zooming that became so common during COVID, et cetera, is a part of this. And uh, and if you're thinking strictly of virtual reality as a precursor to this conversation as well, even as it overlaps. In fact, one of the issues that we had writing the book pretty constantly back and forth with one another is, are we talking just about uh, VR, the you know, the goggles, if you will, only, or are we talking about all forms of digital communication as we're writing about this particular theme. So um, that's one of the challenges of actually thinking about this or the variety of forms in which it's available to the church. Well, I would ask you guys maybe to dig in then a little bit because understanding there is obviously VR um, as a specific technology, but also the concept of virtual reality and kind of a mediated digital uh, way of communicating and connecting with one another. What is virtual reality and how do you define it throughout the book? Super. So virtual reality is actually surprisingly difficult to define. And um, Jerome Lanier, who wrote in 2017, The Dawn of the New Everything, he's sometimes cited as the godfather of virtual reality. He's been following the industry for at least four decades now. And in this book, he gives us no fewer than 53 different definitions of virtual reality. 
Now, uh, the man who maybe understands the technology best on planet Earth can't reduce its definitions down to fewer than 53. Okay, and Dr. Bach and I are biblical specialists, not primarily technologists. So, how are we going to do this? Well, I think if I were trying to explain what virtual reality is in its most basic form, I would say it's a it's a spatial computing. So our traditional computing devices have allowed us to access and manipulate data through the computer monitor. And we spend, most of us spend most of our days staring into a computer monitor for one work process or another. Virtual reality is a way of displaying digital data that's not locked into a two-dimensional monitor, but instead you interact with that data uh, in a three-dimensional space. That is to say that you have created a system that the, where the computer can communicate uh, about the, you, you can view data and you can manipulate data in a three-dimensional environment. So it's like the, the data is written over top of your physical surrounding. So some people speak of virtual reality as spatial computing, and I think that's a pretty good way to get at the core of what the technology is. And I know early on when this technology first debuted, you see kind of the rise of uh, Palmer Luckey's uh, Oculus, uh, those headsets, and then later that was acquired by Facebook, who has kind of taken the platform and run with it. Um, you even see Mark Zuckerberg claiming that he hopes, um, and I think it was within a decade, to have almost a billion people in virtual reality um, as part of the kind of way that Facebook is seeing kind of the future of computing, whether it's VR or AR. And early on, you had Christians engaging in this space, um, specifically wanting to do ministry in this space of connecting uh, globally, connecting across boundaries and across distances, and um, especially helpful for those who were unable to physically gather with the church. Um, but Alongside the rise of the VR church and VR ministry and missions, uh, there were a lot who questioned the role of VR church or this completely digital type of gathering based on their understanding of the local and physical nature of the church, as well as the physical aspects of the sacraments, including the Lord's Supper and baptism. Can you all expand a little bit on some of these hesitations that people have and how you see the Bible defining what the local church is? This is a tough question because um, I think the way in which this material uh, or this medium gets used is um, is complicated by the kinds of scenarios where we see it it might having perhaps perhaps having value. Let me go through those scenarios and then and then we can get to the concerns. Uh, for example, in high, in countries where persecution is real and gathering is dangerous. Uh, that's one environment in which connecting people, not by physical proximity, but connecting them in light of uh, the danger of being gathered together is a problem. So that's certainly uh, one example. People are in highly rural areas who might struggle to gather in a physical, physically located church might be another uh, medium in which this provides some level of interaction and fellowship, even though it doesn't involve uh, physical presence and local limitations. See, one of the problems that we have is is that um, we have been limited up until the last century in our gathering by by locality. Uh, but mm -hmm. one of the things that radio did, television did, and certainly this interactive form of medium does is allow you to gather without being physically um, 
close to one another and have some form of, of human contact. So let me flip it. The, of course, the limitations are that you don't have the kind of intimacy and personal face-to-face, -face, direct human contact that we would associate with a local church. Um, and so uh, its usefulness is limited in terms of what it can provide, even though it is um, expansive in what it provides under certain limitations. I tell people, if you think the pandemic was bad, imagine what the pandemic would have been had we not had Zoom. Yeah. Um, been much worse of an experience, much more isolating. And it's even isolated with those capabilities. So those are the kinds of tensions we're wrestling with in the book. I agree. And I would also say that I think um, one of the pitfalls that we repeatedly want people to avoid is the assumption that everything that can happen in a church service, in, in a building, in a traditional church service, can be replicated in VR. So we make it a point throughout the book to to search for this particular strengths of VR as a medium, but it, it's really a fool's errand to imagine that everything that happens in a church can be replicated in VR. We're not advocating that. We want to distill the unique strengths of VR and apply those to specific ministry potential. Well, in terms of uh, things that might be lost in terms of some are looking toward VR church as the future of the church, saying that this is where we're all heading um, into a completely digital and mediated experience. And others are very hesitant of that, obviously, as we talked about earlier, of some of the things that might be lost. What are some of those things that can't be replicated in VR uh, that happen in the local physical gathering of the church? Well, there's a number of things. Um, the first comes to mind is that um, it's very difficult to do effective children's ministry in a VR environment. And there's a host of technical reasons for that. Children don't usually have access to advanced internet technology regardless of what, what it is. Um, and then, of course, providing security for online experiences is very difficult. So children's ministry translates very poorly to online environments. Crisis intervention. You know, um, our churches are stocked with people whose marriages have been saved because of a, an intervention of one of their spiritual leaders from a congregation. That's very, very difficult to do in an online environment. And examples could be multiplied. Well, to flip that around then, what are some of the benefits of virtual reality as you were going through these studies of the way that these things can be used more than just missionally, maybe some unique opportunities that you have in VR that you might not have uh, in a physical kind of enfleshed and bodied uh, state of the church? Well, one thing that leaps to mind is, is that you have a lot of people who might attend a virtual church who might never darken the door of a physical church who are exploring uh, the faith. And so uh, as an initial way in, uh, it can be very, very helpful. One of the points I think we're trying to make is, is that this technology is probably operates best as a complement to the local church, mm. not a replacement for it. Yeah. And so uh, when you think about all the ways in which a person's uh, experience, either with scripture or, uh, or in reinforcing the teaching that happens in the community can be reinforced through this technology. Um, the potential here is, is rather vast, especially as advances continue to be made. The Bible can be um, made, can, can be 
reflected in a, in a visual environment that allows you to experience a little bit of some of the stories that are being portrayed as opposed to merely hearing them, that kind of thing, uh, in an experience that's much more enhanced than simply seeing a film of, of an event in the first century. It can actually immerse you and put you in the midst of the action, if you will. At least the capabilities for that exist. And so the potential to, to reinforce what scripture teaches in this kind of a way is actually very rich. The, uh, and, and then as I've already suggested, people uh, will experiment with coming to church in a virtual environment uh, who might never otherwise come in, into a church building in order to hear a message of what's going on, that kind of thing. There's been a lot of that. Those who've actually worked in this area talk about the amount of people who who they encounter who probably would not walk into a normal a normal church setting. Yeah, there's there's actually a lot of low-hanging fruit here. So it could be the immersive nature of sermons, as Dr. Bach has already mentioned. It could be the recreation of pilgrim sites. So, of course, who wouldn't want to walk in Jerusalem in the first century and see the way the temple looked in the first century? Um, educational experiences, so Sunday school classes, teaching of Christian doctrine, Christian theology, church history, etc., New Testament. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit in those communities. Um, um, testimony giving, so sharing stories across de- uh, um, geographically distant Christian communities. Prayer translates amazingly well to virtual reality. You can create uh, prayer groups with Christians from different parts of the world. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit there. Yeah, and that's something I noticed uh, when I experienced VR is even being able to walk the Holy Land or to see like an immersive experience or the Bible, uh, be able to connect with folks from uh, literally all across the world uh, who have access to the devices and also high-speed internet to be able to do that. There's so much potential there. And I think, Dr. Bach, exactly what you guys have argued in the book is extremely helpful distinction is that it's a complement. I think often when pastors or ministry leaders think about virtual reality or hear visions of the virtual reality church and what that looks like, often we hear that it's a replacement. And I think the New Testament specifically, but really the entire kind of meta narrative of Scripture is arguing that we're embodied souls, uh, that we're enfleshed beings, and that there's a physical nature and a, a reality of why we were created that way and how we are to be in physical proximity with one another. But that doesn't mean, um, as you well argue in the book, that that means we reject the technology wholesale and say that there are no benefits and there are no uh, use use cases of these things that can help further the ministry of the church. And so I really appreciated kind of the balanced approach that you all took in the book of saying, what is the good, but what are there also, what are the pitfalls? What are the dangers? What might we be losing here? as we move forward uh, utilizing uh, this innovative technology. One of the questions I wanted to end, uh, come to a close on as we talk more about virtual reality and kind of the future of gospel ministry is how you see this technology, but really even other future technologies and innovations fitting into the meta narrative of scripture. Um, is technology a, a force of good? Is it a tool? How do you see God utilizing these uh, technologies throughout the history of the church, not just in the modern period, uh, for the advancement of the gospel? And how does that vision kind of give us a hopeful realism as we move into the future that can be scary and kind of overwhelming for some, 
or where there's often some unbridled expectations and uh, optimism by others. What's that kind of, how does that meta narrative of scripture help to give us a hopeful realism as we move into the future? Well, the way we've talked about this is to say we're not meta for or meta against. Uh, what we want to do is understand the nature of the medium, what its strengths and weaknesses are, because uh, depending on what the technology is, it offers certain things and it has certain limitations. And so by understanding what it can and can't do for you really is helpful. Let me give you a simple illustration. Most people who used um, uh, some form of digital communication during the um, during this COVID pandemic that we've been in the midst of have basically used it to stream what happens in the room uh, during a worship service. Now, I'm, this is my opinion, but I think it, I've had it confirmed by a lot of people. The experience of worship, particularly music, is not the same experience when you're streaming it with your family in the living room versus being in the room and singing with the people who are surrounding you and, you know, in a live service. That's a very, very different experience. The medium doesn't do well. When the medium is just a window, in other words, it's not, it's not doing everything that it can do. But let me flip it. One of the things that we did with this medium in our church is we initiated a three o'clock in the afternoon call on Sunday for those who are interested to reinforce and discuss and help people process the message that they had heard in the morning. And this produced a very lively conversation with those who were, you know, deeply committed to, to the teaching of the church. To, it allowed us as speakers to see how what we said was pro- being processed by people. And it allowed for the interactivity that the, uh, that the medium is so well suited for. Um, it builds connections. I, I want to, I want, even though we're embodied people, you know, who operate with a body, we relationally are able to connect even when there's not um, direct physical presence. In fact, that God relates to us in his presence in that way. And so I, I think that sometimes what we're wrestling with is the way in which our ability to connect with one another, although not being physically present, uh, now exists in ways that didn't exist when the Bible was written are things we have to consider about the way we engage with each other. Dr. Armstrong, did you want to add anything there? I'd be glad to. So um, we speak of technology as it's though it's this monolithic entity, and in some ways it has become that. When we speak of technology, we're no longer speaking of a specific invention or a, a, you know, a specific um, discovery that helps us do our daily lives better, but we're really speaking about a fabric of society. So the way that we've tried to address a theology of technology in the book is really to set that in the Bible's own storytelling about um, the whole arc of salvation history. So God gives to humanity our own um, innovative abilities and our own uh, um, abilities for craft and development, and those can be used depending on the depending on the choices of those who use them. Those can be used for God-glorifying purposes or for terrible ends. So it's almost that the technology is, in some ways, the new politics. It's a new empire. And I would look to um, even some of what the prophets had said about empires coming and going, captivity to an empire. I think some of what the Bible says about politics in general now applies to the way technology operates in a society. 
Well, as we end our time together today, I wanted to kind of pick your brain for some resources. And these don't have to be specifically tied to technology or VR as much as maybe even relating to issues of ecclesiology and helping pastors and ministry leaders and even parents think through how to apply and approach how to apply biblical principles as we approach a lot of the modern uh, debates and controversies of the day, maybe specifically with technology. Dr. Armstrong, there was a minute there I thought you were referencing George Grant because he actually has a book called Technology and Empire. Um, And I thought maybe that's what you were picking up on there a little bit with Grant's work um, because he focuses a lot on kind of the power and the structure and the shape of technology. Um, But are there any types of resources that you would recommend outside of your book or that you found especially helpful as you were writing this book uh, to address a lot of these pressing questions? I can offer a few. So if people are looking for um, a really top-shelf overview of, from a pretty technical approach of the way that technology has been applied to church communities, you can check out Tim Hutchings, Creating Church Online. That came out from Routledge Press in 2017. And Tim Hutchings has been following, he's, he's a fairly young scholar, I think in his middle age now, he's been following online church really from its inception. So he's speaking as an insider to that movement. And then Quentin Schultz, his Habits of the High-Tech Heart, Living Virtuously in the Information Age, that was originally published in 2002. Um, I've uh, the, the more I read that book, the more I, impressed I am by Quentin's um, prescience, not, not necessarily simply in the, the way that technology would unfold um, in its specifics, but the way that technology reshapes our moral imagination. For that, I think Quentin's book is second to none. Yeah, I think those are good, good recommend. Those are good recommendations. You know, this we're so early on into this that the writing of books on this topic are few and far between. This is more a res- the way you're going to find resources is by um, pursuing different topics and and literally using the the digital technology that exists, which means Googling it and that kind of thing, and to, to find resources that discuss this and break it down and, and really um, are able to do so in an up-to-date manner. You know, one of the issues that you have with writing a book is you write it and then it's another six months or so before between the time you finish it and the time it gets published, printed, and released. And by that time, uh, new stuff has come down the pike in terms of what's going on. No, I think you're exactly right on that. I experienced that same phenomenon when I published my book, The Age of AI. Um, It published, and then there were resources coming out, and I was like, man, I wish I would have been able to incorporate some of that into my book, Um, but it just came out too late. And that's kind of the nature of writing uh, specifically in the technology space in terms of ethics and ecclesiology and a lot of the issues surrounding that is that there are new resources coming out each day. Uh, Well, this is a very helpful resource. I want to encourage listeners to grab a copy of it, Virtual Reality Church by Daryl Bach and Jonathan Armstrong uh, from Moody Press. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes for folks to be able to grab a copy of that. Um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time and the energy and having the interest in pursuing a book like this. And then also thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us here on Weekly Tech. So grateful to be able to work with you, Jason. It's our pleasure. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoy Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Armstrong and Dr. Bach, learn more about their work, and grab links to the resources they mentioned in the show notes. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning. 
This resource is designed to help you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of the day from a gospel perspective, as well as to stay up to date on the top technology news. You can subscribe at jasonbacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.